Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Harvest Baptist Church. The following message was delivered by Pastor Kurt Skelly and is part of a series entitled Acts, the Gospel Mobilized. I want you to open your Bible again to the book of Acts in chapter number 16. Sometimes God shakes things up. That's the story of Acts 16. God shook things up. Sometimes God has to shake things up to make things better. Sometimes God has to shake things up to help us to see things that we wouldn't have otherwise seen. And God, some, God shook some things up in Acts 16 that helped a, a jailer that probably never would have seen God. Probably never would have considered his need. And no doubt never would have been saved had not God shaken some things up. He shook the prison. He shook the earth. He shook the people. He shook the hearts. And sometimes that's a work that only God can do. Sometimes God has to shake things up in my life for me to see things that I could not have seen otherwise. Sometimes God has to shake things up in our church for us to see things and know things about God that we could not have seen or known otherwise. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about when God shakes things up. Our Father, thank you for the Word of God and thank you for its clarity. Thank you, Father, that week by week as we progress through this book of action, you always seem to have the right message for our need, for the hour. And Father, I pray that in these moments you would use your word to speak to every single one of us. Lord, I need you. I need your spirit. I need your help. I'm asking that you would be with every listener. May the message this morning be exactly what Harvest Baptist Church needs. Please, Father, bless this message, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We all know the story about the Philippian jailer. If you've been saved for any length of time, you know how Paul and Silas were jailed and you know how they sang at midnight. You know how that the prison doors were opened and yet they stayed. And then the jailer came in and asked that great question. The only time the question is asked in all the word of God, what must I do to be saved? There's a great opportunity for the Bible to clarify what salvation is. If salvation were by works, here's a great opportunity for God to clarify that we must work our way to heaven. If salvation were by religion, here's a great opportunity for God to clarify that salvation is by being a member of a particular church or denom denomination. If salvation were by any means at all, here's the opportunity for God to give the answer. And yet the Bible says, what must I do to be saved? And they said unto him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And once again we learn what the Bible emphatically declares, and that is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. What a great passage. 
the conversion of the Philippian jailer, perhaps one of the most incredible and notable salvation experiences in all of recorded history. But it's not the only one. It's not, not the only salvation experience recorded in Acts chapter 16. As a matter of fact, as you study the passage, you'll realize that many people were saved in Acts chapter 16. The Philippian jailer was saved and his household was saved, including perhaps his own physical family and the domestic servants in his home. But more than that, the Bible teaches that Lydia was saved. We talked about that last week. And not only Lydia, but also those of her household and of the domestic servants that no doubt worked for her as a successful businesswoman. Lydia was converted to Christ and those of her household. And then this damsel girl, about whom we'll read in just a moment, possessed of a devil, a slave girl, beneath the age of 13 because of the word that she used. We know she was just a girl. Possessed of the devil, on a road of ruin, used and abused by her masters. And yet she was converted as well. And so the book of Acts in chapter 16 records for us some dynamic conversions where God shook up some lives and did some things that only God can do. And certainly we understand that only God can save a soul. He did so in a different way. Not that God saves differently. We're all saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, but the, the methodologies by which people get saved many times differ. For Lydia, she was saved through a, a conversation. It was conversational. Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy went down to the riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And there they were studying the Hebrew Scriptures. And there they were praying. They were religious people. No doubt sincere. And there Paul engaged them in conversation. The Bible says that God opened up the heart of Lydia and she attended unto the words that Paul spoke and there she was saved. Dynamically. It doesn't seem to be dynamic. Just a conversation. It doesn't seem to be uh, extraordinary. I mean it's just a, a conversation sharing Christ from the scriptures and yet that's how she was saved. God did the work on the inside. Unseen by man undetected by those that were uh, a part of the conversation. God did a work on the inside of shaking a life. And then the second great illustration in Acts 16, that of the damsel. As a matter of fact, let me read the story to you if you have your Bible open. Look at verse 16. It came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, young girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. She was being used for financial benefit of others. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, and watch what she said as she stalked Paul and Silas. These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. This did she many days, but... Paul, being grieved, annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. 
What a conversion. Lydia was shaken by God on the inside. God did a work that only he could do and opened her heart. She got saved. This little girl, this damsel girl, under the total control of the devil, under the manipulation of evil and nefarious men, was saved when the Apostle Paul turned and confronted her, confronted the demon that was in her. Come out. And we now understand this, that a demon possession can only, uh, demons can only be exorcised in the Bible as the Spirit of God comes in and binds that strong man. And so what I find in Acts 16 is that this woman, or this girl was, was saved in that the Spirit of God came and it took up residence in a life that was formerly possessed of the devil. What a salvation experience. And Lydia, it was conversational. With the damsel girl, it was confrontational. And then with the jailer, it was uh, consequential. Uh, the jailer wasn't a religious man. You're not going to catch him down by the riverside studying the scriptures. You're not going to catch him down by the riverside praying. Uh, nor is he possessed of a devil. He's not uh, saying religious things. Uh, he's entirely ah-religious. Ambivalent toward the things of God. Secular. Not even thinking about God. Making a living cruel, violent. Unattached from anything that would be spiritual. And yet God got a hold of his life too. Because God knows exactly what to shake up in my life to get my attention. God knows exactly what to shake up in a person's life to, to get him to look Godward, to think of spiritual things. And the Bible teaches that this man was saved as a consequence of the event of the earthquake. In all situations, God was shaking things up. I learned three important principles in Acts chapter 16. I want you to see them. First of all, in Acts chapter 16, I see what I call the reality of spiritual warfare. The reality of spiritual warfare. Understand this, believers, that we are in a warfare. And many Christians walk around as dupes not realizing uh, that there's a world that's unseen that's much more real than the world that we see. Jesus was constantly uh, trying to get his disciples to think on a plane on which they were not walking, on a plane on which they were not thinking, on a plane which they could not see. Lift up your eyes. And look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Uh, guys, you're always thinking about food, and you're always thinking about location. You're always thinking about geography. But I'm trying to get you to see that there's a world out there that can only be seen by faith. Think on those things. It's Elisha asking God to show his servant Gehazi. Open his eyes. Open his eyes. There's a world out there. There's an army out there that he cannot see. God opened the eyes of that servant and he saw the army of God surrounding the army of, of the Syrians that surrounded the city of Dothan. I'm just saying that there's a whole world out there that we need spiritual eyeglasses to see. And in Acts chapter 16, God gives us a peek into that world. It's a world of spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
There's an unseen world and there's a real devil and demonic force fighting against God and fighting against truth and righteousness and fighting against you. Fighting against our church. We've got to understand there's a reality called spiritual warfare. We see it poignantly illustrated in the life of this little girl. The devil, he doesn't play fair. The devil, he plays for Keats, but he doesn't play fair. Here's a poor girl, maybe eight years old, maybe 11 years old, a little girl possessed of a devil. She has no chance. She has no power. There's no way for her to win. She's in now being used and abused by, by sinful men that are simply using her as a tool for their own financial gain. Like a spiritual prostitute, this girl is under the total control of people that don't love her. That's the world in which we live. That's the devil whom we fight. I find that she's under a demonic influence. The prince of the power of this air holding sway. Her father, the devil, not loving her, not nurturing her as her father would, but abusing her, manipulating her. It's a demonic force. It's a deceitful force. The Bible says that this woman, this, this damsel would follow Paul and Silas and she would proclaim, these are the servants of the Most High God. They proclaim the way of righteousness. Well, that sounds like a true statement to me, but uh, the devil oftentimes will use truth as his way in. The devil wasn't concerned about winning people to Christ. The devil wasn't concerned about uh, undergirding the ministry of Paul and Silas. The devil was simply trying to find a way in to neutralize the, the, the gospel that Paul and Silas were preaching. And many times the devil will use truth to get in. A Jehovah's Witness will stand on your doorstep and Boy, it'll sound good. He'll quote verses. to talk about God and talk about the Bible. The Mormon will stand on your doorstep and talk about Jesus and talk about being born again. But don't be duped. Religion says many good and creedal things, but uh, many times it's truth that's the, the biggest danger because it's truth that's admixtured uh, with error. And for Paul and Silas to endorse the ministry of this girl that was saying these are the men of the Most High God and they preached the way of salvation would be for them to endorse every other thing she said. And it wasn't what she was saying that was true that was wrong. It's the fact that she was not only speaking truth. And our call as believers is to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This was a deceitful, well the devil uh, is the first one to quote scripture. He quoted God to Adam and Eve. He quoted scripture to Jesus. It's not just truth. It's, it's truth that's the whole truth. It's truth with a testimony that will back it up. What good is truth if it's a demon-possessed girl? What good is truth if it's just being merchandised for the financial gain of somebody? Like many ministries are, just in it for the money. What good is truth if it's not backed up by a great testimony? No, truth is neutralized. In situations like that. Uh, this was a demonic force. This was a, a deceitful force. This was a destructive force. The devil didn't care for the tool he was using. Uh, the, the masters of this girl didn't care about her life. She was just a little girl, but they used her. She was just a little girl, but they abused her. She was just a little girl, but the devil possessed her. And that's the way the devil is. He, he has no concern for anybody. He'll use people to 
be weapons that he can wield against a holy God whom he hates. It's only God that truly loves a sinner enough to die upon a cross through his son, Jesus Christ. No, this was a demonic and a deceitful and a destructive force in this young lady's life. And she lives near you. She lives in your neighborhood and she lives in your school district. She attends your workplace. There are people all across this world under the influence of the devil and don't even know it. They're on their way to hell and don't even know it. They're controlled by a stimulus that they can't even, uh, that, that they can't even control. They don't even know it. They're all around us and their lives are being destroyed. And we have the only answer and the answer is the power of the name of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. We live in the middle of a war and sometimes we just go out weaponless. The Bible says in verse 13 that they went to prayer and then Lydia was saved. The Bible says in verse 16 that they were going to prayer and they confronted this damsel girl. The Bible says in verse 25, as they prayed and sang praises, then the earthquake came. Listen, our spiritual weaponry is prayer and a communication with a holy God. Are we waging spiritual warfare against the devil that wants to ensnare the people in our lives and in the circles of our influence? We are fighting a warfare, Christian. It's our job to wield the name of Jesus Christ and operate within the power of prayer. Not only was she controlled by the devil, but she was manipulated by evil men. Manipulating, mocking the message of God. Mocking, merchandising the gospel. The gospel is not the saving, uh, transforming power of Jesus Christ. The gospel is a way for us to make money. The gospel is a way for us to make a name for ourselves. The gospel is just another thing that we can do with this girl to uh, bring more money into our coffers. What a sad, sad Sad thing. It's the reality of spiritual warfare. But notice with me secondly this morning. Not only do I see the reality of spiritual warfare, but I see the, the importance of spirit-filled witnesses. Would you see it? The importance of spirit-filled witnesses. God uses people to reach people. That's God's plan. God uses people. He could write the gospel in the sky, but he doesn't. How shall they hear without a preacher? God sent. Come over to Macedonia and help us. God uses people to help people. And how did God get a hold of Lydia's heart? He used Paul's conversation. And how did God enter the life of this young damsel girl? He used Paul's confrontation. And how did God get in the life of this jailer and his family? He used Paul's statement, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God uses people. He does the saving, but he uses us. Just as the devil uses people and abuses them for himself, God uses us for his glory. And I see the importance of spirit-filled witnesses. Notice, if you would, verse 25. And at midnight, oh, they've been beaten. At midnight, oh, they've been falsely accused. At midnight, oh, they've been thrust, thrust into the jail, thrown into the jail. And at midnight, oh, yeah, they're, they're, 
their wounds were not even washed or treated. At midnight, Paul and Silas complained. At midnight, Paul and Silas claimed victim status. And at midnight, Paul and Silas asked for their one phone call. And at midnight, Paul and Silas asked for the defense attorney. No, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. And watch this. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang. And sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. That takes a spirit-filled man. Because any old person can complain. Can any old person can have a, a mindset that when bad things happen that we don't deserve, well, this, this isn't fair. Everyone can cry, cry, no, not fair. Everyone can cry. Everyone can complain. Everyone can manipulate and gossip and bellyache. But it takes a spirit-filled man to say, God, yes, I didn't deserve this. And, and oh, yes, I was only preaching the gospel. And to know there's no good reason why I should be arrested. And, and the mob was simply incited to a riot. And, and these men had, had no, no reason to put me in jail. And, and they just go, they're just money makers. But, but they looked, they didn't look at it that way. They said, God, circumstances outside of our control, God, you superintend them, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose, and God, we know that you're bigger than all of this, and we know that you're the grand orchestrator of circumstances, and God, while we don't like this particular circumstance, we know that you're going to use it in our lives, and so God, we thank you, and we praise you, because you're our God, and our perspective is, this is an honor, and our prayer is, God, we need your strength, and our praise is, God, you're working a work that we can't understand thank you for shaking things up we're spirit-filled spirit-filled people actively have a perspective of God's in control spirit-filled people actively say God I need your help and God I'm standing in communication with you spirit-filled people will praise God when it just doesn't seem right to praise him by the way the best way to detect a spirit-filled person is by the way they react if I'm full of the Spirit, if you put pressure on me, the only thing that's going to come out is Spirit. If I'm full of the Spirit, when you put pressure on me, what's going to come out is love, joy, peace, where I'm suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Uh, the Spirit fullness is going to come out of me if it's in me, if I'm full of it. When you squeeze me with pressure, when you squeeze me with circumstances, what's going to come out is what's in what came out of Paul and Silas when the pressure came, when the beating came, when the manipulation and the lies, when they came, what came out of them? Spiritfulness. It's so important that we be full of God's spirit because God will put you in situations that will squeeze you and what's in you will come out. What came out of Paul and Silas? Songs. Bless you. Songs came out. They sang when they should have complained. Hey, they stayed when they should have left. Because the Bible says the earthquake came and the doors opened. The earthquake came and, and the, the chains fell off. And I'm going to tell you what, if I'm in prison unnecessarily, if I'm in prison unjustly, and all of a sudden God sends an earthquake and the doors open, and God sends an earthquake and my chains fall off, listen, I'm out of there. But the Bible says they stayed. And so did all the other prisoners. 
Why? Because they knew that something was happening that only God was doing. They knew something was shaking that only God could do. They, they knew that there was an influence there that was far greater than just escaping and releasing and finding comfort and finding safety for myself. They just stayed where they were. When they should have left, they stayed. When they should have complained, they sang. When they should have remained silent, they stated what God could do for this jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what got them in prison. That's what caused the insurrection in the first place. Their gospel preaching. Now here they are at it again in the place where they're beaten, in the place where they've been in the inner prison. They're still preaching the gospel. That takes, my friends, spirit fullness. Pastor Skelly, what do you see? I see the reality of spiritual warfare. Do you see it? Do you see that God has put you in a place in your life right now? A spiritual war. Do you see the people around you? Do you see the weapons that you have, the word of God and prayer? Are you wielding them? Or like most Christians, are you just wandering around in the dark, weaponless, armorless, hoping for the best? No, there's a reality of spiritual warfare and God wants to use your life. God wants to use your life. God wants to use your testimony. God wants to use your words. God wants to use your experience. God wants to use your negative experience. God wants to use the backdrop, the black backdrop of your life. He wants to shake things up and he wants you to be right in the middle of it. It's the importance of spirit-filled witnesses. But notice with me lastly this morning. Not only do I see the reality of spiritual warfare and then the importance of spirit-filled witnesses, but notice with me lastly this morning the, the power the power of the Spirit's work. I want to be in a place in my life where I see God do the things that only God can do. We can build an altar. We can put wood upon it. Only God can light it. Only God can bring the fire down. Yes, I want to obey God and do the things I'm supposed to do. And yes, I want to be found faithful. And yes, I want to do all the things day by day that God requires of me. But much more than that, I want God to do something in my life that only He can do. I want God to shake things in a way that He needs to shake them for me to see Him in a way that I've never seen Him before. To do things that cannot be explained through human processes. What I find in Acts 16 is the power of the Spirit's work. Power over religion. Pastor Skelly, my grandma, she's been in this one religious denomination her whole life. And I've witnessed to her time after time. She just can't see it. She can't see it. Listen, a God has power over religion. And God has the ability to drop those blinders. And God has the ability to take off those shackles. And God has the ability to shake a heart and change a life. Don't give up. Keep conversing. Keep telling people about Jesus Christ. God can take somebody in total possession of sin. God can take somebody under the total control of the devil. God can take somebody who's manipulated and abused and cast out by society. And God can change that life. And God can possess a life with his spirit that was formerly possessed by a habitual sin or by the devil or by the nefarious forces of evil. God can change possession. He can change religion. He can change ambivalence. 
God can even reach the most calloused heart. I don't believe in God. He can change the most callous person. Well, I'll tell you what, Christianity is for weak-minded people. For weak people. Real men take responsibility. Real men don't need a crutch. Real men don't need that mumbo-jumbo and the Bible stuff. That was the jailer. But you know what God had power to do? God had power to shake him up. God knew what he needed. He didn't need a conversation. God knew what he needed. He didn't need a confrontation. A confrontation would just make him more hardened. No, God had to get down on his turf. God had to come down to what he thought he can control. I can control this prison. I can intimidate these prisoners. I can shackle these men. And God had to come down and show greater power to him than the power he thought he had. God can change any life. He did it with a conversation. He did it with a confrontation. He did it with a consequence. God changes lives. Consider with me this jailer for a moment. What about him? He was uh, violent. That was his job. He lived in Philippi. It was a colony of Rome. A colony enjoyed special exemption status and certain taxations. A colony was a, a, little, a little, little Rome, a little Italy. A, a colony was settled for one purpose, and that was to have an outpost in the Roman kingdom to kind of watch the areas around it. And Philippi was a colony and a, where many of the Roman soldiers had retired and lived in that city. And, and perhaps even the jailer himself was a Roman soldier. These were men that were secular. These were men that had no time for God. These were men that were hardened to uh, the elements and hardened to violence and hardened to uh, uh, things, uh, 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 the human sensibilities. Uh, they were violent men. The Bible says that when he received these men that had been beaten, he thrust them into the prison, just threw them in there. Maximum security. Locked them up and watch this, went to sleep. Thrust them in. Locked them up. Went to sleep. I mean, how callous do you have to be to disregard a man whose back is bleeding? How callous do you have to be to disregard men who obviously have been thrust into prison unnecessarily, wrongly, and he knew it? How callous do you have to be to go to sleep, understand these men are probably going to be up all night groaning and in some cases, maybe even dying from blood loss or from the wounds. He's a violent, calloused, uncaring man. I believe he's a man that had heard the gospel. I believe he had heard a Paul and Silas preach. Why? Because Paul and Silas had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. There was an assumption on the part of Paul and Silas that they knew who Jesus was. There was an assumption on the part of Paul and Silas that they understood uh, about the deity of Christ and about uh, the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. Uh, no doubt he, he had heard the gospel already but was callous to it. Yet God found a way to shake his life. God found a way to show him you're not as strong as you think you are. God found a way to show him you're not as tough as you think you are. God found a way to show him that you're not as brave as you think you are. And the Bible says that when that earthquake rattled and when those chains fell off and when those doors were open, 
The Bible says that that jailer immediately ascertained what had happened and he just assumed that the prisoners are going to escape. He just assumed. He, he, he didn't understand what spirit-filled men would do. He just assumed that they would leave and, and then he understood that, that I'm going to be held responsible so I'm going to commit suicide. And Paul shouted, do thyself no harm. We are all here. And the man watched this. I don't want you to miss the verse. Look at verse 29. Then he called for a light. It was completely dark. He sprang in. Look at the energy. Look at the immediacy. Look at the urgency. He called for a light and sprang in. And watch this. He came trembling. This hardened prison warden. This violent jailer. This tough guy. He came in trembling. Watch this, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. Now the guard is the prisoner. Now the guard is the humble one. Now the guard is the one assuming the posture. Now the guard is the one afraid, trembling. God knows how to shake people up. God knows how to show you you're not nearly as much in control as you think you are. God has a way of bringing circumstances in our life to show us things about himself that we would not and could not have seen otherwise. And he came in trembling. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. And thy house. In other words, if they believe, they'll be saved too. And they spake unto them, him the word of the Lord. And to all that were in the house, he, he preached and explained the gospel. Watch what happens. Watch the transforming power of Jesus Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And watch what happens to this man as he becomes new in Christ. Verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. A violent, calloused, ambivalent man is now carefully washing the wounds of other men. A violent, ambivalent, callous man has been so changed that now he cares for the physical needs of other people. Only God can do that. It happened immediately. And then the Bible says that he was baptized. He immediately wanted to identify with Jesus Christ. He immediately wanted people to know, uh, here's who I am and here's what I believe and I want everybody uh, around me to know uh, who I believe in and what I identify with. He was baptized. He and all his straightway immediately that night verse 34 and when he had brought them into his house wow notice the hospitality he doesn't just say okay now you can go to minimum security this might be nicer than maximum security now you can sit here without shackles no he'll come to my house come and eat with my family come and interact with my children he brought him into his house, but not only that, the Bible says, and he, he set meat before them. He prepared a meal. And watch this, and he rejoiced. Here's a man that was miserable. Here's a man that, that, that was ambivalent. Here's a man that was callous. And now he's a man full of hospitality. Now he's a man that cares for others. Now he's a man that boldly uh, proclaims the name of Jesus Christ. And he's baptized. Here's a man that's happy on the inside. Why? Because Christ shook him up. Christ did for him what nobody else could ever do. Believing in God with all his house. I love how the story unfolds. Look at verse 35. 
When it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. Ah, we sent our message. We made our statement. We beat them up. All right, they can go now. Watch what Paul does. Paul had some chutzpah. Because the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily or privately? Uh, nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Oh, now you want to just privately get us out of jail, huh? Well, guess what? You're the ones that broke the law. And maybe you didn't know this, but we're Roman citizens. And maybe you didn't know this, but uh, what you thought you were doing for Rome, you were actually doing against Rome. And now you're going to be little weasels and send your sergeants down and let us go and wash your hands of this. No, I don't think so. We're not going anywhere until you show up and open the door and apologize and ask us to leave. Can you imagine how their tail is between their legs now as the magistrates come down? The sergeants told these words unto the magistrates and they feared. Huh? Boy, by the end of the chapter, notice how everything's upside down. Or should I say, right side up. Because they're fearing when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them. They're begging them. Please, please, we're sorry. Please, would you please leave? We're really sorry. You know, do you want a Band-Aid? Uh-uh. They besought them. They brought them out. And they desired them to depart out of the city. Hey, leave jail. Matter of fact, just get out of our city. You're bad news. But you know what Paul does? He doesn't leave. Look at the last verse of the chapter. And they went out of the prison, but they didn't leave town. They entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, oh, they wanted to go to the church that had started in Lydia's house. They wanted to talk to these young believers who no doubt had witnessed the public flogging, who no doubt had seen the riotous mob, who no doubt had heard, but they want, Paul wanted to add th th this additional information. Hey, let me tell you what happened when we got whipped. Because you weren't in jail. We sang. Let me tell you what happened when we went to jail. We prayed. Let me what, tell you what happened in jail. Remember the earthquake you felt last night? Well, guess what? That earthquake caused all the doors to open. And that earthquake caused all of our shackles to, to fall off. But we, but we didn't leave. We stayed there. You know why? Because God's more interested in people than he is prisons. So we stayed there and we told that jailer. And I'm just here to tell you, church, that the jailer got saved. And I'm here to tell you that his wife got saved and his kids and his servants. And I'm here to tell you that God was glorified. They had a little praise service. And they were all encouraged. And then this great church at Philippi in its infant form, this joyful church, the joy started when Paul said, God shook things up. And man, he was great. God shook things up. And I'm going to tell you what, it all worked out. God shook some, shook some things up and I am so glad he did.